Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. It was Tim Takahashi doping in sports, just in case everybody got full up on, on food and forgot what we were talking about. It's not all about the food. It is for me. But it's not all about the food for everybody else. So I'm going to invite people to ask questions. Um, and there are a few rules when you ask questions. State your name. This isn't the roast and toast page in the paper. We'd love to know who you are. Uh, ask your question. Keep You can make a comment, but keep it as, as brief as possible. So sort of have your ideas in your head before you step up to the microphone, which would be a far cry from what your moderator is doing today. And, uh, and there will be a provided microphone. I just got the nod. It's right there. I don't know if it works. It works. Lisa assures me it works. But then I asked Casting. Lisa if everything was running and then the computer Casting. shut down. I'm a little gun shy. Fool me once. Shame on me. Okay. So I encourage a steady flow of questioners. So line up three, four deep if you've got questions because we want to we wanna keep it going, keep everything going fast. And so I'd like to welcome back up Tim Takahashi. This is on? No. This is on? Yes. Hi, Tim. I'm Henning Mundel. And thank you for your presentation. It was quite illuminating. Um, I uh, want to ask you sort of two quick questions. I don't know if your answers can be as quick as my questions. But two quick questions, one relating to the range of sports that is involved in testing, not just necessarily that you yourself are involved mm-hmm. with, but that is involved in this whole scheme. For example, it seems like bodybuilders always uh, use steroids, so is bodybuilding involved? Um, then um, the other thing is the levels. Is there only all or nothing? Okay. So um, I guess the quickest way to answer that question of what sports are tested or subject to testing to my knowledge, is those who have signed on to the Canadian anti-doping policy program. So, for example, Canadian powerlifting does not receive government funding, so they're not subject to testing because they don't receive money from the government. So (laughs) that's really the short answer. But every amateur sport in Canada is subject to testing, potentially. So it's all fair game. And the second question was uh, levels. Yes. We generally only test high-level athletes, elite-level athletes. The sorry, I meant levels of the detection. Sorry. Oh, levels of detection. Okay, so... Yes, what you're looking for, what you're testing for, and what levels. Okay, so when I go for tests, um, on my mission orders, it will actually say the technical things that they're looking for, but generally when it goes to the water lab, they're checking for the grocery list. It's just a list of everything. They just find, they just go through everything, but some targeted tests, they're looking for specific things like human growth hormone or steroid or whatever. So, um, But those cost more money and those have to be targeted, like they have to be. So if you were a, an athlete, your performance all of a sudden got much better, you're doing very well, they are building a biological passport on you, and then they, in your sport, if they know that EPO or erythropoietin is a 
rampant drug, then they will do a test specific for that drug. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's, and so this is where it gets all the technical things, but yeah, there, there's a certain threshold of, of a, you're allowed a certain amount of testosterone in your body. If you exceed that, then it becomes an adverse analytical finding. Yes, yes. Some, as soon as it's detected in your system, it will be considered a positive test, like cocaine or, or some of the, the, the serious drugs. So it depends on the sport. We're just discussing our table. Every sport is different. So, yes. Yeah, Terry Shellington. Thank you for your presentation. Took me into all kinds of information that I didn't have before. Thanks. Um, my question is hockey related. I mm -hmm. noticed with interest that the WHL mm -hmm. was on your list of experiences. I'm curious to what extent uh, uh, drugs are an issue at the junior hockey level, and before that, of course, is bantam and midget. Uh, uh, would you care to comment on that? Um, I can just tell you from my personal experience testing. WHL hockey that the number one issue is marijuana. They all are concerned about that. So it's it's they're not the league isn't necessarily looking at that, but it's more the kids are more concerned about marijuana in their system, and so they'll they're actually quite open with me. Say, oh, I was at a party and there was marijuana there. Is this going to turn it positive? So um, typically in that sport, um, when we're sent out. It's, it's a typically a targeted test for that team, but not individuals on the team. So they'll say, go to Portland, test the Portland Winterhawks, and then they'll say, do two random there. So we'll do test them there. But um, there, to, for me, myself, I've only had a few targeted tests in hockey where they're looking for specific people, but that's under suspicion. So it's mainly that. There's not a lot of, uh, me personally, I haven't seen a lot of emails come across with positive tests, and if they are positive, it's generally for marijuana. That's just my personal experience in this very small area of the WHL. So, I don't know if that answers your question, but there you go. <laughs> Thank you for your presentation. My name is Avotanis. Uh, when they sign on the line that they're not going to use drugs, and they also receive government funding, when they default on that signature or get caught, do they have to pay the funding back as well? <laughs> and well, why not if not? Yeah. Um, to, this, to my knowledge, talking with the actual athletes is that um, they are carded, so they'll receive funding if, as a part of their contract is that if they, they must be clean. If they are tested positive, they have their funding revoked. I don't know if they have to pay that back. But... Um, for example, a lot of these athletes have endorsement um, contracts with companies, private companies, and part of the contract is they must be tested regularly and be clean because that company doesn't want to be associated with, an, uh, with a dirty uh, athlete in terms of uh, taking drugs. And if they pass certain tests, then they get their check. So um, that's the financial side of the testing. So it's built into their contracts. Now they must be clean. So... There's incentive that way, I guess. Uh, Tim, thanks very much for an interesting presentation. My name is Van Christou. Um, it occurs to me as you're speaking that uh, we're facing a problem here in society that's, that's uh, directly related to money. Mm -hmm. um, as these athletes become so overpaid, of course they're going to be tempted to 
to enhance their, their performance and uh, make millions of dollars. Uh, Tiger Wood last month just went over the billion-dollar mark in his, in, in, in his take. Um, it's so ridiculous that, uh, that don't you think, and my question is, don't you think that we have a hopeless problem here as long as athletes are paid so much money? Well, um, I guess you have to separate the two sides, and I'm not, this is just my experience, is that professional sports, professional athletes, when they are paid as a professional, are on a different set of rules than amateur athletes. All of the athletes that I primarily test are amateur athletes. They are elite athletes, but they are, um, for example, uh, they're not professional. So the Olympians, for example, they are not professionals. They're considered amateur athletes. So they're not... Sorry? Oh, yeah. And so, so for example, if uh, professional hockey players... Perfect example. When I was at the Olympics, the Canadian national hockey team was to be tested. And, um, however, it was clearly stated that they, when, when they were tested, if they were tested positive, we knew that they would be only sanctioned under the Van Ock rules, not the, the NHL rules. So they're being even tested against different rules. So, yes, I mean, does money have something to do with it? I think it clearly does. I think, obviously, Lance Armstrong, that incident clearly shows that. So, um, but my experience has been when I test amateur athletes, um, they are doing it because they love to compete. They believe in it. They're not making a lot of money. In fact, a lot of them are struggling. They don't have a lot of money. and But they are top of their game now. But to make them move from amateur to professional, they may need that extra boost. And this is the Michael Berry situation. He was the best in North America. But he had to become better to join the U.S. Postal Service to to cycle with Lance Armstrong in Europe. He said he didn't have to dope in North America as an amateur and then as a professional, but going to Europe, he needed to do it. That was his reasoning. Whether it's right or wrong, that's up to you. So, yeah, there's definitely a problem philosophically with the money issue. Um, does money drive people to dope? I think it does. That's just my personal opinion. But what I've seen is that... Um, it is certainly a means to an end, and money <laughs> certainly is a high, powerful motivator. Bev Mendel-Atherstone, thank Hi. you very much for your talk. Thanks. What an interesting career. Um, I noticed that you have two items on the prohibited list, insulin and asthma, which would seem to preclude people with diabetes yeah. and asthma from from being an athlete, but there are people who have diabetes and asthma. So how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. um, so when I go to a test, if you, for example, are an asthmatic or have diabetes, you have, you're taking uh, these drugs as a prescribed medication from a doctor, then you will have what's called a TUE or a therapeutic use exemption. You can uh, go onto the CCS website and say, I require this because of my health. And then, so when I come to test you, you'll have that TUE, I write that number down, and then if you test positive, then you are exempt from that. So, so yes, if you're an asthmatic, you are allowed to take those drugs for your medical condition, and it's allowed to be in your system even if you're tested, so then you're okay. But it's on the list because if you don't have asthma, I take the asthma medication, it'll increase my performance 
but I don't really need it, if that makes sense. Same with insulin. It allows me, and I, I don't know the specific physiological mechanism, but it will allow me to use my blood glucose or energy in my body better. So that's the, that's the reason why it's in there. So do you have um, a baseline for each person? Like with my asthma medications, I could really overdose on that. Absolutely. So do you have to have a baseline yep. of yep. for so each if, individual? So if you were the best, I don't know, pick a sport. What sport would you like to be the best at? Uh, how about you're a runner and you've got asthma? Perfect. So she's the top female master's runner in Canada. Then um, if there was suspicion of you doping, they would build a biological passport. So then they, you'd be tested every month for an entire year. It would give me baselines off of everything. And so if you're here, 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 all of a sudden here, you spike and then back down to here, we know right here you're doping, right? And so that's how we would kind of tell. Would you know ahead of time when you're going to be tested so you could take oh, more on that day? Question. See, Beth's got all the questions. So would you know if I'm coming? There is a... Um, there's what's called a no-notice advance test. So it means okay. there's no notice. You don't know that I'm coming. Okay. So that's when I show up at your door, wake you up at 6 in the morning and say, Hello, Beth, we're here to take your urine. And you wake up and I take it right there. So there are some that if you're at national championships, you know you're going to be tested. So there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Frank Toth. Uh, uh, that's a beautiful talk. Kind of filled in. The gap. I have, uh, fortunately, I was stationed in Toronto during the war for two and a half years, and I lived one block from Maple Leaf Garden. Oh, yeah. All right. We, we saw, I, I emphasize real hockey. Uh, sportsmanship is a goner now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had an NHL fellow living beside me, and he said they take drugs. That's what makes them fight. Mm-hmm. He said makes them miserable. Now, my question is that uh, the rules today, is a, they've wiped out the charging, running uh, laws now. What have, uh, how, can you, how can you prove one way or the other if that's the, 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 the drugs cause that, mm-hmm. that, that temper? We've lost sportsmanship. I used to fight the English people, and if you slipped, they'd apologize to you. <laughs> okay, today, hockey, uh, name them or hell, okay? Does, does that affect the, the, the brain or what have you to make you forget the word sportsmanship? Yeah, I, I think I know where you're going with this. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, I guess this is, pretty philosophical, <laughs> meaning um, I think it comes down to just the emphasis of, I think what Van was saying is winning. I think winning at all costs is almost become bigger than anything. So whether you use a drug or whether you use some type of method to become better, how far will people go? I, I Yeah, I don't know. To be honest, I guess to... to Make it really simple. I'm just the policeman. <laughs> I just police it, right? And and then if there's if there's suspicion, we'll go test them. And and um, you know, I guess the only way to directly answer that is when I when I sit with them, um, I, when you hear their stories and you just interact with them, I I can kind of tell something is going on. I can I have a gut feeling. And those three people that tested positive, I could kind of tell that they were 
they were doping. I could tell. And so, and I, so I don't know. I'm sure every police officer that works and interviews someone that's a criminal would kind of know. You get that kind of vibe, I guess. So is it the drugs that are doing it? Is it because of behavior? Is it because of pressure? I don't know. Uh, but but <laughs> certainly there's some motivation there. Everyone has a different motivation. Um, and And a lot of times I'm just there to enforce the rules and how why you do it with this Michael Berry issue I've kind of stopped judging people to be honest I don't judge them anymore people just do it for their own reason and that's their choice you know so I don't I don't have to answer it but <laughs> yeah. my name is Knut Peterson Tim I was uh, wondering a little bit about our question today is uh, who are the winners and who are the losers I suppose the losers can be categorized by some people lose because someone else was drugged, but there's also losers on the winner's side because of health issues Mm -hmm. further down the road. Can you maybe relate to what might happen to when they start growing hair out of their (laughs) big toe and stuff like that? Um, Well, to directly answer that question, I... You know, I've only spoken to a few people that have had side effects or health problems because of doping, and maybe a handful, five or six people, and they've all said the same thing, that they wish they never did it. And it wasn't, to be honest, it really wasn't because of the health issues. It was basically just because they felt bad about themselves. They said, I, you know, I wasn't doing it uh, fairly. I was cheating. I was, you know, take, getting an unfair advantage. So, but yeah, there's clearly some health problems. And, uh, and uh, you know, obviously, when you're young, you're invincible, right? You, you're, you're indestructible. You're never going to have a problem. But as you get older, we start to become wiser and realize, oh, <laughs> maybe what I did before when I was a kid or when I was younger was bad for me. And I'm suffering for it. But, um, but I guess the real <laughs> winners and losers, when I was preparing this talk, I think the real losers are the people who, and I've said this at the table, are the people who really, truly love the sport, have the discipline, and, the, and make the sacrifice to train and to dedicate their lives to a sport or a discipline, train every day, work their butts off, and it doesn't matter if they win or lose, but when those people win, society, unfortunately me and us, will look at them and say, you cheated. You did drugs. And they, they, they will say, no, I didn't. I worked hard. And now we're looking at everyone through the single lens that everyone is cheating. And I think those, that is the real loser. That is the loss. That's why I still test, because I want to find the people that are cheating in order for the people who aren't cheating to win. That's really what it comes down to. And great, you know, some people say, well, you only caught three people. That's not successful. Well, maybe, but at least I'm doing something about it. I feel like I'm actually doing something about it, not just talking about it. I want to get out there and do it. So, yeah, the real losers, I think, are our attitude toward those people who dedicate their lives to something. Yeah, so. Uh, my name's Austin. Thanks a lot for speaking. Yeah, it's you. great for you to go public, and we get so much information about this. I have a question that relates to um, the appeal. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to hear you say that there can be a four-year window for appeal. It's actually eight how, years now. <laughs> how is that possible? Wouldn't the materials that you need for testing be invalid or useless? 
So the procedural changes we were just told is that you get an A sample and a B sample. The A sample is always tested. The B sample is frozen and it's kept for up to eight years. And um, those that B sample can go, they can retroactively go back and test that. But they just can't just go back and test it just because they feel like it. There has to be a reasoned decision on or you have to have enough evidence to support the fact that, oh, maybe there's a suspicion that you're cheating. Let's go back and test it. So specifically with Lance Armstrong, they went back and tested his B samples based off of the evidence that was presented against him. I was saying this before. He never has been tested positive. To this day, he simply just agreed to the sanction based off of the overwhelming evidence. So I guess my example is this. It would be like me being a speeder in Lethbridge. I'm speeding everywhere. Everyone in this room sees me speeding, but the police never catch me. But the police charge me based on the fact that I had a 1,000 people tell them that I was speeding. No, really, and that's what a reasoned decision is. And they went back and tested the B sample, and it became positive because they went back in time because they have the technology now. So... You know, I'm not defending him at all. I'm just saying that, yeah, there is there is an appeal process, but there is a process to go back and do that. So um, that's, that's a direct result as of the Lance Armstrong case. So it's evolving. Thank you very much, Tim. Very interesting information. I'm Mary Shillington. Uh, I'm curious, and maybe you told us at the start, but I can't remember now, uh, how you got started doing this. And So that's my first question. And the second question is, how are new testers being recruited? Mm. And are there people wanting to do that? Um, so in Canada, there are about 100 dope control officers. Um, and uh, in 2008, I had – basically, it's – I hate to say it this way. It's the old boys club. Basically, I was referred. I had a friend who was a dope control officer. They said, I'd like to refer this gentleman to become a dope control officer. I applied. They look at your application. There's a 10-step process. That process took me two years to get through. To be honest, I almost forgot a few times because the gap of time was so large. But um, it's a... It's a position of authority where, uh, or trust where I'm left alone with an athlete's samples. So technically, could I tamper with them? Sure, I could. So I have to ha- rigorously go through all these questions and interviews and all these things. And they give me all these psychological testings of, if this happens, what would you do? And all that. So, so I passed all that. Um, and so in order to recruit new ones, it, now it's, um, it's geographical. So I'm the only dope officer for this region geographically. And so my area is Calgary South to Montana, east to Saskatoon, west all the way to the Pacific Ocean in the United States. So USADA, because there's only 30 or 40 doping drill officers for all of the United States, you can do the math, and Canada has 100, um, the USADA will routinely re- recruit me to go down and test the WHL in the United States. And so it's a very large area. So if I happen to quit, they would just recruit a new one. And 90% of the people I have medical backgrounds, but there are quite a few dope patrol officers that don't have any medical background. So it's, it's, they have to do a lot more reading and training, but you can do it without a medical background. And so it's very procedural, I guess. <laughs> so hopefully that answers. Oh, yeah. So what actually drew you to applying the first time? Oh, sorry. Oh, well, like what made me do it in yeah. the first uh, I, I don't – I think – I think it was – I just felt like I wasn't – I wanted to be involved some way, but I didn't feel like I was doing enough. So I wanted to really be more involved, I guess. And so – but I, as an athletic therapist, I was 
always on the back end of athletes that are rehabbing injuries or trying to get back to sport, and some of them would use drugs to get back faster, and then they would get caught, and I wouldn't know about it. They wouldn't tell me, and then I would feel bad about it, and I'd say, well, you sh-, you know, I, I, it was just I wanted to help. I don't know. I just wanted to do it, so um, it was a way to actually put my money where my mouth was and to actually do it, so anyways... This will be our last question. My name is Bob Byers. I was wondering, is sabotage a problem? It was so easy to spike a drink or a sandwich uh-huh. to give a false, false positive. Is that a problem? So sabotage or tampering, I guess, yeah, sure. as you're saying. Um, so I can honestly say that probably in the past five years, tampering, uh, test pe- athletes that have been getting off because of tampering has gone right down because we've changed all the procedures. So... I'll give you one simple example. A simple example was um, uh, athletes uh, would uh, sabotage or, or nullify their urine sample by rubbing a cream, like a hand lotion, on their hands. And then when they would provide a urine sample, they would hold the cup. They would purposely pee on their finger. The pee would run down their finger into the cup, which would allow the transfer of that lotion from their hand onto into their sample and then nullify everything into the cup. And that's tampering, right? You can't do that. And then they would go to the lab and it would become negative. So the procedural change was you have to wash your hands before. I'm going to watch you. You pee, and then we cap it, and then we secure it. And so that was like one simple example. But, you know, a lot of times they would go, oh, sorry, you know, I peed on my hand. Oh, okay, no big deal, right? Just keep going. So, um, but, uh, you know, so those are some intelligence things that we've changed. And so tampering-wise, it's much lower. And... The bottles are, you can't get into them. You have to use a hammer to break into the bottle. Like once it's capped, the only way to open it is to take a hammer and break the bottle open. So it's pretty tough. Like it's very, very, very difficult now. So procedurally. So um, I would, I can honestly say confidently that it's extremely difficult to tamper. And then I have a security seal. It's time dated when it goes in, when it leaves, when it gets on the courier, when it arrives, it has to be signed for, everything. So I would say try to tamper with it, and we'll get, I'll find it. <laughs> so, right? So, anyways. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Takahashi. And don't forget, next week, same time, same place, we'll talk about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. <laughs>